If this is in the series, welcome to the Soul of AI, an integral <laughs> stage series to convene a more diverse, more depth-oriented, and probably stranger range of discussions around the rapidly emerging, probably world-changing, or at least world-disturbing, new digital tools being generated by or through human civilization. We've spoken to engineer and theorist Jill Nephew previously in the series and used some aspects of her ideas to probe subsequent guests. Today, we brought her back to uh, rebut and comment and clarify her positions relative to some of the other ones we've explored, particularly my discussion with Canadian cognitive scientist and Neoplatonist John Verveke. Jill and John, which are obviously the whitest names ever, hold perspectives <laughs> that have much in common, but with very different emphases. They're both concerned with an existential threat. They both would like to see more wisdom in areas of AI production, utilization, and public discussion. But where John is concerned with the ontology and metaphysics of engineers being blind to issues that philosophers and theologians need to dig for, Jill's more concerned that non-builders and incompetently trained builders have no idea what they're talking about and end <laughs> up going down dangerous cul-de-sacs of thought that mistake the glamour of complicated statistics for the organic complexity and layered intentionality that make advanced biological systems radically different than the emerging crop of predictive tools. So we're happy to be joined by a friend of the show and uh, long-distance runner in the race against insanity, Jill Niff. Hi, Jill. <laughs> wow, I think we should just end it there. That was wonderful. Yeah. Jill, just listen to that. <laughs> I was, did you just improvise that? Uh, I had a couple of notes, but uh, I, oh I wrote them together. <laughs> I'll tell you what, there's, there's, you are one of a kind. That is amazing. Okay. <laughs> Can I live up to that? Thank you. Thank you for having um, me back. And yeah. Um, because I mentioned it, I guess. Let's use Verveke as a starting point. What's okay. what's been standing out to you about his position, whether in my discussion with him or in your general sense? What's been standing out to me is I believe that there's some uh unsubstantiated assertions of that the, these capabilities will happen. I feel like there's been kind of a, a merging of a variety of sciences and a kind of a triangulation in the middle that would point at more than I think can happen. And I think in a bigger sense, what, you know, what's missing um, and might be coming if it's needed is a, a not here, but a much longer form, much more, much more rigorous uh, unpacking of um, what I pointed to before, which I think are important um impossibilities you know what's engineering fiction um i'm not alone in this criticism that um you know we we live we still live in a hangover of logical positivism where people wait and think you have to wait and see for everything they don't really understand that you can do principled arguments um you'll have people say well that's only relativistically true or contextually true and i think that there's a um what really would need to happen for people to grok the the nature of the power of these arguments is to really understand that um the power that they aren't they don't uh relate to that so i'll give you an example um really easy to um understand uh things aggregate in layers on top of layer on top of layer on top of layer that's how physics works when you glue things on top they go layer on top of layer so if you want to say how fast does the volume expand in an in a, in a, uh, environment of things that could stick to a surface you could call that a scaling law. It's, you know, how fast does that boundary expand? And, and if you propose that something does other than that, 
that's not possible, that you're breaking physics. So this is how you kind of rule out, when you can show these things, you can rule out arguments. So, um, so these are the kind of arguments that I think are coming. I, I think a lot of people are kind of blindsided by how fast all this stuff happened. And a lot of people are poised and wanting to put this material up, but they didn't have it ready, kind of. So I think that this is coming. Um, but these very carefully thought out arguments to kind of start to reveal what's the engineering fiction. Because the people that kind of know that kind of stuff are not the same kind of people that are deep in the building of the tools. You know, everyone's very siloed. These very deep, deep, intense worlds that people are in. And, and right now they're a little too siloed, I think. So there's this cross germination that needs to happen that uh, would substantiate a lot of, like I'm a wild, I throw out this kind of wild claims as, you know, like last podcast we did, I, I know there's some pushback. I'm like, I just want to throw it out there so people have it, you know, in their heads that these are the possibilities I'm seeing, but I can't really back them up yet. Um, and I may not be the one, I hope I'm not the one to back them up. There's other people working on this, but no one has heard of them yet. So this is kind of the, the job of us all, I hope to, start to popularize and bring out this really important research that, you know, all the good stuff's done by people that don't want to be out there. So you have to kind of, you know, promote for them. So I feel like, um, uh, I should stop saying feel like, I did a lot of work uh, years ago uh, because the nature, well, in any event, the nature of my work brought me to this problem around 2016 full on. I, I was already in, in the space, but I needed to really dig into the details. And so, uh, that's where I feel a little ahead of the curve in terms of kind of saying, well, I, I can see why you're making these moves and kind of interpolating these points. Um, but it's there's a lack of grounding in what I think a lot of, well, what I, you know, there's a lack of grounding in what other people in these series have, understandably, they're missing the grounding into like, it's not, you know, that that knowing how something's built is the grounding. You know, knowing how something's built is that natural intelligence of the builder to know you cannot build that and um I, that goes way back for me like even back when i was working on supply chain optimization algorithms a kind of ai um nowadays to be considered black box ai or, or white box ai when i was working on those algorithms um, the engineers would have to have eventually conversations with the, with the thought leaders saying i know you would love to promise that but that's not possible because of these kind of scaling laws so um so i'm kind of just here as a stand-in of like this kind of thing's coming and um i do think that that's missing i don't i don't think you can be a thought leader on the future of tech without doing that work i think that that's um i don't think that um uh you have to integrate your view with reality to um feel as though you are designing if you want to be a thought leader in terms of the design layer what you think should be built or whatever i think you have to go deeper than you realize and um and I also kind of hold that I think that the the builders can bubble up to be the designers. They're not the hustler class, and those and the class of builders that can bubble up to be the designers are often AI researchers that aren't actually in the uh, these particular you know domains that have these business models attached to them. So I'll stop there and kind of um, I'm not sure if I yeah I think so that's my main criticism. I think they're missing a lot of things. You're standing in for a class of arguments that we haven't heard enough of. Right. That involve an understanding that comes from being grounded in a building sensibility, which then yeah. allows you to see and predict the inevitability of a certain ceiling on the ability of these yeah. tools for generating. Very good. Yeah, exactly. And and um and also what a lot of the um what I was kind of railing against and frustrated about as well um, is that there's a little bit of almost like a 
uh, classism. It, it really is, you know, if you look at the the um, moral authority, theologic um, wisdom tradition, I think a really good metaphor just spatially um, is that they're hanging out 30,000 feet and a lot of us are stuck in the trenches, you know, and there's a place for that. But that's not, but if you really want something to work, you've got to know all the layers. So you've got to feel, be able to be someone has to be conversant and communicating through all the layers down to the trenches. Um, and then the reverse is also true. When you're a builder, you build up to 30,000 feet and you pop out somewhere with a view that is not represented. Like you built a mountain and you, you know, and you can stand there uh, and you know how to navigate it. So I think that, and we do see that in, in um, you know, the funding of tech startups and the visionary stuff coming out of builders. But I don't think we have um, really appreciated the overlap of builder with um, what is kind of still the theological whatever class. And I and I will mention that I, I don't know who says this, but Wiki says it. Many have considered Raymond Lowell the father of IT, the 1300s theologian who was an information technologist and theologian building technology for to help people, you know, realize that having all the insights and you know his con his assertion was with his information technology everybody could uh, make the all the deepest spiritual truths self-evident they didn't need the theological class anymore it could be first person which got him killed um like so so there there's also this um an interesting split going on because i think that i think there is like a kind of a retro you know, I hate developmental uh, often. Uh, well, I, I'm now going to concede that if we totally anchor it in a social context, we're cool. So I'm going to anchor this in like Western, you know, like I think it's a backwards move to think that we would need uh, moral authority in human form. And it's a forward move to look at the work of, say, Michael Levin and others um, that are and and what a lot of people just know in their bones, which is that it's uh, it, that the antithesis of moral action is just the severing of understanding context like a cancer cell wants to cooperate it just gets confused you know that is the new true interpretation it's not an intentional thing you don't that cell you don't train it to be of different intent or even different kind that cell is having a interface problem and so you get it to align by working on its ability to connect with its context uh, and then it, and then the morality of li livingness, you know, um, is emergent in systems that are coordinating together, um, and you know they kill each other too as part of nature. So, um, so kind of coming in, in this kind of extrinsic stance versus intrinsic stance. I think that there's a little bit of a split there. That I would say, if you understood the tech stack, you could see the possibility for a lot more of the emergent intrinsic and the, and less need for the kind of old school. Uh, extrinsic or imposed of moral authority or any other kind of authority to containerize or constrain the space. Okay, I, I want to come back to that idea of emergent uh, moral type behavior, but let's just make sure for everybody that we're clear on what it is we're talking about. So when we're saying something's <laughs> either inevitable or impossible, what what is that thing? What is, you know, yeah. the, the accumulating ceiling on something? What is yeah. the something that has that ceiling? Okay, so. Um, so all the endeavors I'm speaking to, um, even if they have fancy names and fancy titles and people in fancy arenas, I would say that all these scaling arguments, the one, like the one I gave you, are uh, intrinsic to cognition and they're baked into our common sense and they're how we navigate it's, it's machinery we have. So like the most, some of the most uh, fundamental, extremely powerful impossibilities we all can hold is uniqueness. 
the fact that we can take in a very sparse, uh, you know, sensory in, you know, uh, amount of input, do the grounding and binding problem of synthesizing that into a first person experience. And then beyond that, actually track and understand things appearing and disappearing in our entire environment and modeling that uniqueness. So it's we know it's impossible if we were in our sane world for all intents and purposes, we would argue it's impossible for people to be in two places at once. If we thought that was possible, our courts would fall apart, everything would fall apart, our relationships would fall apart, <laughs> you know? So, so we're bringing this impossibility reasoning to things all the time. And then we also have conservation, which is a very big deal. You know, things are, that's kind of an extension of it, two places at once or things and continuous. So things are kind of happen continuously. They don't beam in and out. Um, so these are things that we um, know we don't know often. Um, and we bring all that machinery to bear when we're construing a plausible argument. And then when we do the grounding into a plausible argument, such that we say that's impossible with authority, right? So it's, um so that same intuition where we'd say, well, that's just impossible. Like that doesn't add up. I know it and I don't even, I know it so well, I don't have to justify it. Building that intuition into like what you interact with every day, there are domain experts that would do that, say, you know, um, because they're just staring at certain kinds of systems or whatever, or they, you know, so it's just translate that same intuition into a domain expert that's kind of looking at maybe algorithms or, or you know, um, capacities of computers or whatever else to say, well, you're designing, um, so like hard limits, for instance, from Moore's law, people might be familiar with like, how fast can you make a chip? How much more can we get this doubling? Well, eventually everybody knows you're gonna bump into physics at some level, there's just a, a constraint of our, the size of us and the size of our information and the size of our things we can manipulate and probe and the expense of manipulating and probing all that and the resources, all the externalities. Like once you do full cost accounting, which we haven't even talked about yet, that's where you get into very good scaling arguments. And this is where when I say there's, I've claimed uh, that I that it's possible there are no real business models for this new generative AI beyond kind of interpolation because every time it extrapolates, if we're fortunate enough to understand all the externalities, if we could actually do that full cost accounting, just like we're doing with plastics, we're failing to do with plastics, right? If we could do all that and add it up, we'd say, ah, that's not a real model. Of course, all the short-sighted doesn't mean it won't happen because we fund tons of uh, short-sighted models that extract value out of our future for our present. And I, and I have argued that the generative AI likely are in that class when they are generating. Um, so we can get back to that. So these are kind of these impossibilities where you say, well, where did all the heat go? Well, where did all the strip mine stuff go? Are you going to put all that, you know, those tailings back together into like how earth wanted it? Are you going to, you know, grow the forest back immediately and restore all these species that took billions of years, you know, to like, these are impossibilities they are tied to deep histories. And that's a really big argument. I also hear that cross cut of impossibility the lee cronin work points at it but i might be the only one making this argument i think if you if you mix together michael levin with lee cronin this particular problem of impossibilities of our deep deep history that we're we are filled up with history uh, we we evolved all this machinery that just kept working and working right and you don't get to the idea of building something else like us that has our capacity like is not acknowledging that that history is an embeddedness and a openness. It's an open system embedded. There's no space for it in reality. There's no space to suddenly bootstrap a new life or a new sentience or new conscious thing. If we're attaching that to, you know, what living things are, you can't bootstrap that in. You can corral what's already there. And I think we already have beautiful examples of that in factory farms, beautifully horrific, right? 
Um, so I think if we don't acknowledge the corralling of life into forms is a horror, horror, horrible, torturous thing to do. If we don't acknowledge that fundamentally, then we'll just start doing that in our, you know, we'll start calling that AI that we are now going to corral living things into doing our cognitive work for us um, in a new kind of um, way that I would say it's impossible for something to be alive, to not have an experience, and it's possible to have an experience of being corralled that's not painful. So this is where we might start getting into morality more of like, these are impossibilities now in kind of this moral realm of that. If you have a, an edge to your, you know, if you have a sensory edge or an impulse or an intentionality and that intentionality is continually blocked and corralled, that is a pain state that we'd be imposing on anything living by trying to make it an artificial intelligence on our behalf. I'm thinking about impossibilities as I listen to you in terms of something analogous to uh, internal and external right because i think um you know where verveki would be interested here is in saying we have these tools if they get better if they merge with some other tools then we would still want to raise them give them a history of encountering their limitations and impossibilities and that we won't be able to get them to some hypothetical degree of wisdom unless they're able to actually run into impossibilities the way we run into impossibilities and start to build some kind of intuition from that but on the other hand you're also saying there's this set of externalities in the world and that we already have an intuition that these that the rest of the system might not allow these tools to unfold to the level of something like sapience. Yeah, okay. So um which one to okay, so the first one is um they're both they both have impossible there's many, many impossibilities and they're trying to figure out which one to start with. So I think we need to back up for a minute and um and maybe uh talk about maybe talk about what wisdom is that people are saying they want to raise these things to have so i know this is um i'm not gonna i'm going to define wisdom like i define natural intelligence natural intelligence is the ability to plop something in the universe unplug it and it lives on its own forever for until you wipe it out and it becomes extinct and there's a lot of machinery in play there to go find a niche negotiate with all your neighbors understand and consume what's out there and understand how to be consumed by what's out there so that you're participating in a full cycle like that's a lot of negotiation a lot of understanding and a lot of like built-in interfaces you have to come in with to be able to pull off living so i think that's um likely an engineering impossibility and we can't we can get into that but there's a lot of reasons and so you can dog your that one i can unpack the impossibility there but it's not even that yeah so the nature wouldn't afford it um and we don't have the we won't be able to engineer it we don't will i don't believe we can understand it well enough to engineer it because of impossibilities we can unpack that one too and these come back to scaling arguments and whatnot and, and ability to probe life without killing it so there's lots of probe scale dynamics going on we can't really get at um and complexity we can't handle so so yeah a lot of intractabilities there uh, so I don't, I think that's engineering fiction that we could even come up with a blueprint. Um, so again, we're kind of back to corralling and, and hacking existing life forms on our behalf, like we already do, like, you know, also with the grafting or, you know, peas being blue, green or yellow or whatever it is, you know, like 
the genetic experiments and then what Michael Levin's working on, which could be another layer of interface of hacking an interface to get something we want, which may not be, which might be fine. Um, but again, that's if we understand the if we truly understand the nature of giving that thing an ability to negotiate its environment and kind of agency, um, which we kind of have to. Anyway, so um so um you have two options with something like that. Um you can let's say you did the michael lovett thing and you give it a sense of agency like he says you're, you're, you're the idea of hacking the natural intelligence interface is rather than engineering a stack of blocks you're trying to or a pyramid of blocks you're trying to engineer a pyramid of dogs well there's two ways to engineer the pyramid of dogs kind of and there's a short-sighted way of damaging the hell out of them and then there's like kind of this um maybe maybe lovely way of incentivizing them or maybe that's a kind of brainwashing way of incentivizing them to do what they wouldn't naturally do so we then have to kind of struggle with this idea of are we getting living things to do what we want to do um or lifelike things to do what we want to do through uh, this kind of capturing of their attention, everything we do with cults and enslavement and mind control and everything else. So, so we aren't even off the hook yet if we say, well, they're kind of doing what they want to do because, well, did we control their environment to completely turn them into zombies or slaves? And plenty of people are working on that. Um, so back to what I would call wisdom, um, just operationally, like I said, natural intelligence is being able to live. Um, wisdom is be able to understand the that situated grounded envelope of plausibility that is reality that is you know understanding your place and understanding um you know understanding that envelope i would call i would think that's a reasonable thing that um definition of wisdom and so I, my challenge to wisdom people is to say you know if you're out in the nat natural world and you assume that plants and mycelium and animals are, you know, conscious as we are or whatnot, are they wise? And I'd say like, or do they, do they have a developmental thing they need to get to to become wise? And I think the sense we have is that they embody a kind of wisdom and that's that knowingness of somehow still not interfering with this participation in their own ecosystems. So to me, the wisdom move is an undoing of that separation and the, and the undoing of the inability to ground into that um ground into that knowingness of what your true envelope of plausibility is for your long-term survival so they're really that's how they kind of link together like the natural intelligence and the wisdom the wisdom would be the definition of that cognitive act that reveals the true envelope of plausibility that grounds into reality through an insight process so then so i'd say the only way then to and we won't get we don't have to unpack enlightenment yet <laughs> which might be worth doing um but you know so now we've got this thing that we're saying in order for it to become wise it first has to have a place right that um that it belongs in and it would need to be able to reveal its envelope of plausibility and where it belongs you know in that place and have its own yeah ability to have that coupled to its agency so that because i think also we don't just think that of wisdom maybe as a when we identify exemplars of wisdom it's it's um it it, it can be it can be a state level thing because that's measurable within minutes people can get into a wise stance uh they can um take uh, take on all the tools we know of wisdom and that's measurable so so you can get them into a wise stance but then i think what we probably do is we watch them throughout their lives and we say oh, it seems as though you also hang out there and, and act act on that we don't catch you doing weird things or your life plays out a certain way or you have a consistency to you um um 
when I went to Turkey looking for kind of mystics, um, Turkey is an interesting place to look for mystics and because they can't proselytize, it's against the law. They can't solicit. If you put up a flyer, you'll get thrown in jail. So, um, so you have to just start talking to everybody. So I'd go into carpet shops and I'd go through networks and I had friends that were Turkish and I would just be having these conversations and I would just be asking, how do you find them? How do you find your exemplars? And, and they just said, everybody in the community just knows who they are. So, you know, but then who do you trust? And, you know, who do you trust to, is it worth their time for you to even talk to their exemplars? It's a whole nother conversation. And are they even going to point you at that guy or some other guy? But um, that's a side conversation. But, you know, I think that's, that, that, um, that that's kind of um, maybe how you find, you know, um, who you would turn to for moral authority, let's say within your community or mentor under, if you felt like you needed that, somebody who you feel like is, appears to take action aligned with envelopes of plausibility that play out well. Um, so, so I feel like that's an, so that's another impossibility building these systems in. Maybe I'll pause there and see, was there other impossibilities we could kind of, um, I think there's another second half to that you were talking about. That was kind of the first one of, oh, these things are coming. We should train them to be this way. And I'd say life is training you. Like the only training for life, right, is um, interfacing with it, right? We grow. We're always training against life towards this. Life is always trying to realign us back towards this. Like there's no intermediate. There's no room for an inter intermediary. Like this is um, also a problem with a lot of like um our practices and our communities is like understanding where does where's the drop off between when you're undoing the bad move and now you're trapped in a new bad move because it's blocking you from that letting life be your teacher again so you know so we wouldn't yeah. be able to figure out how to put it in circumstances where it would encounter the impossibilities that would start to cultivate these faculties in itself it would have to be in something like the complex environments that organic systems have evolved in. And is it really up to us? Like this is kind of a colonizing move, obviously. It sure should start to sound like one, right? We're gonna decide where you belong in an ecosystem, not the ecosystem. Like the ecosystem decides, nature decides. This is emergence. We don't get there's no deciding layer we have. You know, why do we think it's our job to create things and insert them into a perfectly functioning ecosystem? Um like when we do that to our bodies, like just decide we're going to, we decide we have a better interface between our heart and our lungs. We're just going to insert a new device because what do we think we're going to do there? I mean, I guess people want, you know, I understand fixing things that are broken, but like trying to make us better, we don't, you know, without understanding, I mean, the body rejects that stuff, right? So, so you also have like, well, you can kind of do your best, but there's no, there, from, it's arguable that there's any space like an there. organic yeah. point of view that it's, uh, it's intelligent for small subsets of the system to try things like that. Uh, which system are we talking about? Sorry, the, like any system? Like, uh, like, let's say you've got these organisms like us, and then we're okay. like, hey, maybe we got a better way for the heart and lungs to interface. Um, it would be foolish for us to homogeneously apply that, but is it intelligent for us to say, yeah, why don't some people try that and see what happens? <laughs> I think that um, that this is kind of comes back to what I was starting with. I, I I really wish I know this is completely missing in the academy, and it shouldn't be. Um, the idea of let's try this and see what happens could be way more shaped by a lot of really smart people if they would be heard to say you don't need to try to find out what happens. You're going to hurt that person. Like you, you really don't have to do all these experiments. There's principles that you should stop there. Of like, here's the principle of harm. Pause. Don't move until you can solve that. Like slow down. 
you know, that's not what we do right now. We just say, well, let's just see what happens. Let's see. And we can't resist. Right. And to me, that's uh, the wisest move would be to um, try to find every expert that can point out, like could try to predict on first principles, all the pain points of, you know, all these things we're doing to culture and the environment and everything else. Like, you know, it's not rocket science to figure out what's going to happen. If you give everyone plastics, we could have figured that out in the seventies, what's going to happen. You know, we probably, without even having to do the experiment, would realize that most species, just about every species we've looked at when they ingest it, die. And that we need all those things to like create the atmosphere, you know, that fundamental. So we may have just completely blown up our life support system with plastics and no one's having that conversation just on the most fundamental level. And they could have had it back in the seventies. And this is why I started inquiries. Given given that it's kind of like, (laughs) if you know, human beings, it's kind of obvious that we would just completely mismanage plastics. Um, <laughs> is it also kind of obvious that we are going to completely mismanage these new tools, these new digital tools? Like, I think is, so. For you, is yeah. it basically a given we're going to screw everything up with this? <laughs> um, I, I think that I think that you can. Yeah, I think I think it's already happening. I, but I think there might be like a. So I have a really, op- I kind of have a sunny, I have a manic, a manic disposition. It could either go really well or really poorly, but I think there's a lot of arguments now, these scaling argument people are finally, I mean, so much great research is coming out every week. Other people are finally publishing these, these arguments and doing the work to do the analysis. I think we have enough stuff going on that there is a reasonable chance that, um, that what this has done is it's just going to wipe out, um, big data models. Um, so this might be the death of big data um, and everything that hung on that, making those those uh, models unviable, poisoning those wells. So, um, I mean, yeah, so it's kind of like it, the, it, we have, you can think of it this way, we have the, the entire internet is an infrastructure, a bunch of wires connecting us all together. We can send signals through. So we have a nervous system, you know, that we all set up between ourselves, which is pretty wild. Um, and now we're just not sure what to do with it. And everybody, of course, wants to kind of be mediators of all that. And um, we've kind of tolerated it because all the whiz bang promises and cool things we get to like offer up our minds to this thing and let people capture our minds and then repackage our minds. And so that kind of worked, you know, was kind of working where we are all freely sharing things like we're doing right now um, with the idea that why why did we take time out of our lives? We could be having a lot more fun or doing other things to talk right now is you know, what's in it for us kind of thing is that, you know, we still want to attach to being real people in the world, talking to other real people in the world, um, that people would know this is the mind Jill that thinks about these things and the mind layman thinks about these things. And John Verbeke thinks about these things, not have all that redigested into like the world's greatest, you know, interface that would block all those, those relationships. Right. So, so, um, so I think that there could very much be this kind of split happening where, you know, I mean, I, I kind of joked on it on Twitter last week and I finally saw it where it's like, you know, everybody's going to be updating the robots.txt. We're updating ours of like, I don't think I want inquires free education training robots. Like, I, I'll, I don't care about the distribution of Google and it's kind of dying anyway. Since it's all ads model. I'll find people some other way. I'll find them, you know, at the cafes. I'll find them at the hot springs. I'll find them wherever. I don't care. I'll find them in my neighborhood. I don't want to participate in this global data uh, race and I don't want my content participating in anymore. So we would still have the infrastructure, right? So we could still be doing things. Um, So I think that it's possible that this has become kind of an amplifier of a signal that we needed to get 
to understand like in, and and uh there's a paper that just came out yesterday day for yesterday that ChatGPT actually dropped 10 percent month to month in its adoption which is kind of unheard of it's not a good sign um so my my general sense is that there um that there is a so first off okay what's the it's um remember um Napster, I think it was Napster, right? The Napster model. Napster kind of stole all the music and everyone got all their music and they downloaded all their music. And then it's like, wait, 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 wait. And now you've got paid Spotify and Pandora. We're kind of in that Napster moment, I think, where they managed to steal everything. And they're like, and wait until we have all the music. And everyone's like, hold on. So you just have this ramp up of lawsuits happening. Where it's like, I didn't agree. I don't want to participate in this system. People appreciating what this is. So we might be at like the peak data right now, because the other problem is that they don't know how to detect their own product and so what they do is they basically ingest human product of high quality and output a simulated product which is a, like a waste kind of a waste product it's toxic for us to consume because we can't ground it it's co cognitively toxic but it looks so much like the real thing it kind of works but then we're kind of stuck if we you know we're kind of stuck because we can't actually metabolize it um, and then when they consume that they produce a less quality output and they are the most likely consumers of their own output because they're scraping the free internet which is where people can offer this stuff back up so there's a feedback where they're poisoning themselves faster probably than they're poison us because as their quality declines and especially as they get all the lawsuits people pulling identifying if that's if that's supported and people pull out and say i'm not participating they're going to end up with a very low quality data set so now they have two moves available, right? They've got the first move um, is to generate their own data, which we were actually talking about. And then we know there's that's an impossibility, which we can unpack, but don't have to now. But they're gonna, they're desperate, right? And then the other desperation, of course, is to inquiry, like for them to try to get people to interact and ask questions about you. So plug you in as a child to an agent that will somehow make your child learn more. They just have to ask a bunch of questions about them and grow with them and be like a personal assistant. Promise if they can get that to share yourself with us, that's how they will continue to train and grow. So their only kind of pathway is to start to try to plug directly into us with promises of what they could offer us. And if we fall for it, like we did with like social dilemma or whatever, and we start to like let them into our worlds and share our personal first person perspective with them, um, under thinking it's some sort of trust. This is why I spoke to, um, you know, this is why I'm starting to speak to like the potentiality there for ridiculous abuse. Like there's no way the promise would be what you would expect it to be. But I think what it would feel like would be the pull we have towards gurus. It'd be that pull of um, omniscient bird's eye ascended development person knowing me, like looking right into me. I know you and I'm going to tell you who you are. I see you like if the robots start doing that move, you know, that may be irresistible now. I don't know. Right. Like we may trap permanently be into that permanently hijacked, completely enslaved, almost like I think about as real as close as you can get to kind of the last of us where your brain absolutely gets taken over by something that is foreign and also just kind of networked you know not meaningful in our world but meaningful in a world of just pure network kind of like you might think mycelium is in to us like if all of a sudden my cognition was all the icelandic underground mycelium it just wouldn't ground to my human experience it might be very psychedelic but it it would just be a whole other experience so i think that that's kind of um 
like the you know the move that people should be very very cautious of like don't give them your information till you think this through like don't fall for the promise of what they can do for you which we can also unpack that impossibility like could they really know you like that you know there's a lot of the same question of could a guru really know you like that or how useful is that um I'll pause there kind of did a download yeah yeah let me see what i heard there um yeah so we've got these tools that are uh, we've we've created the automated degradation of our information landscape and that's accelerating and it'll be feeding on the degraded information that it produces making that even worse and it will be legally constrained in certain ways likely but there yeah. will be an opportunity for uh, the incentive structures of governments and corporations to want to get that information and to try to get that information through individuals' willingness to allow these systems to train up on the people themselves. And this could be very seductive and could lead to basically cultic dynamics in relationship to these tools. Yeah, and if we want to even remove the word cult, we could just say that, you know, this is um, coming back to what Andreessen's recent um, interview on Lex Friedman talking about how China is transparent about the fact that the AI is the perfect vehicle for um, social control and propaganda delivery. And so this would be just kind of like individual, you know, tuned to you directly, um, which would be the dream, right? So you would know how to kind of um, work a person's entire emotional landscape and give them exactly the information you want to give them. and and so yeah um that it would be the kind of it wouldn't just be at the information layer now it would be on the meaning layer it would be propaganda at a meaning layer and it would hook you with all sorts of ways ideally just all your core insecurities and fears about yourself because that's how you just sell lots of product and steer people away can keep them in constant threat like we already do with marketing advertising so it'd be a marketing advertising dream right of um of just getting your personal assistant in your ear always inserting themselves in, as a middle layer um uh, changing what's uh, uh, in your cognitive workspace such that you want to have a sense of agent agentic movement and desire for what they want you to desire and move towards and that's you know yeah i mean that's uh i don't think that would be hard i mean that's almost perfectly what these things would be designed to do like train them up on pepsi and coke or whatever you favorite you know and then train them up on your life Pepsi's great. Pepsi's great when like all the ads, you know, if you're out rollerblading, show them all the images. Now you're out rollerblading and all of a sudden you're like, huh, you know, like, and you're, you're seeing something similar and, you know, like it's the, that blending, you know, for marketing. I mean, would it just kind of, without even knowing how it works, it would probably just beautifully get you saliently thinking you would just kill to have a Pepsi or Coke right now. You'd do anything, you know, that's all that matters in this moment. Couldn't individuals um, train it up to benefit something that they actually valued individually rather than something that was valued by an existing power structure or interest, right? Like, um, couldn't it be trained to um, optimize for things that produce health and liveliness and intelligence? or you know meaningful experiences for me things like that couldn't i use it myself rather than use one that's been provided to me by someone else and slanted in their direction right so i think this is a really important distinction about training something up 
Um, so, so this, we kind of talked, touched on this other, um, I think we're even going to cycle back to our Gurdjieff discussion, <laughs> but my, um, hypothesis, maybe that a lot of the Gurdjieff work was about, um, trying to come up with artificial memories. So hacking your, I don't know if that's true, but this idea of attaching things like moon and sun, well, if you make moon and sun very meaningful, you're, you know, you probably got 20 out of 24 hours a day to find one or the other and as a reminder factor, right? So how do you bring things in to your cognitive workspace that you want to assign importance to? That's an artificial memory problem. Um, and I would say that that's kind of in natural intelligence, that's all you would need to do is make things you care about salient and solve that salience problem. Um, training something up to know what to make salient for, on your behalf based on a context is kind of redundant to me, you know, so like, okay, so let's try to pick our favorite version. You collect maybe all your best books, all your best spiritual books, and you build an avatar of your favorite person and, uh, and you out externalize them sort of kind of walk your walking companion. And somehow you, they're kind of maybe taking in what you're taking and you get to hear their opinion on the kind of thing, maybe like a way of cross cutting into that. Right. Um, so then what is the utility in that, <clears throat> you know, of having it be an agent? Because it's not an agent, you can just be at the artificial memory layer, right? Where you can landscape that and that, and it automatically knows toward context knows where context belongs, and we know where context belongs. So that's a different arc that's architecting a lands a meaning landscape. That's not the same as training an agent. So they're very different techno technological ways you would kind of approach that. But if you're talking about having an agent, something that takes first person that um simulates a living thing. And that's what we're talking about training an ai that's that unless you're training the ai to be mute in which point it becomes a like a google search on your behalf which is a whole different problem so we're talking about generative ai so we're not going to talk about the ethics of using something you know like we're not in that domain of like you used a big llm to understand a giant corpus and you're going to use it as a a tool kind of like google i'll take what i get do the best you can to help me index into this like that might be, that's a non-agentic version that might be reasonable. Like you have your virtual Alan Watts or whatever next to you. And you're like, Alan, you know, an utterance or a visual, what do you have to say about this? And all of a sudden you kind of get these little, or Castaneda, like, oh, you're in this place. I see the winds blowing. Castaneda says this about the wind or this about a spot. Like you could definitely probably build something cute like that, where it's like, I would just like some, you know, platitudes or a little passage right now against a corpus that kind of you know, settles me in against my favorite. That That's a totally different use case, right, than we're talking about. We're talking about training agents that appear to have their own choices, decisions, and are going to, and are going to say things that sound plausible. So that's where we get into once you have that thing um, sounding plausible, there's just no solution for the confabulation problem. And the confabulation problem, um, the impossibility we're talking about here, is that you train something on a bunch of facts because that's how it works. It's data are facts, but we think in outside that container and there's no way right now with the architectures we're talking about for them to know they went beyond the container because language points at things. Most of language is pointing at things, not the things. So you train on a bunch of language, it'll, it, will, we, it won't know, but it'll, it'll put together a plausible sounding container so like, you know, the good analogy is like you're here on the, and you ask somebody for directions in a new town a mile away, there's, it'll sound perfectly plausible. Yeah. Yeah. Go right. Then three blocks go left. And then, you know, da, 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 and you'll see a church on the left side on the right is a supermarket and you're like, got it. 
that's what it would sound like and it'd just be complete nonsense and it doesn't know so it's it's where you are outside of that and, and if you're outside the training data why do you need it like if you already know the training data you know it you'd want to index into it as an artificial memory if you're trying to get it to go beyond it and you can't tell what's nonsense how useful is it it's basically a trapped left hemisphere right it's going to confabulate you don't you cannot train its right hemisphere abilities the ability to ground into the the senses and and do that gestalt you cannot train that into an llm it's um that's an impossibility so so you can't train it to to have the part the that that part of that machinery uh we want it's um and we can go into why that's impossible but that's absolutely an impossibility right now and likely remain so so i could have automated tools that would say use the internet uh according to my context but yeah. the second that Better i Google. start to think about this as being agent like i run two risks one is i'm going to get a very distorted agent because at best i've got a a trapped version of a left brain uh, and also i've got this second problem which is um plausibility automated plausibility makes us go crazy and i'm curious how far that <laughs> and bad decisions does, bad does decisions. it go to the point where we become like indifferent to plausibility like how many encounters with plausibility can you undergo with various <laughs> different kinds of results before you can't really respond to plausibility at all okay how many different <laughs> <laughs> okay, indifferent to Okay, so I mean, I think the question is like, um, if we can let go of enacting anything outside the envelope they create, they're creating an envelope of plausibility for us that could be confabulatory, right? If you're trying to ground and, and in the real world. When you say they, who do you mean? These robots, the the um, the AI brains are, <laughs> okay. you know, yeah, the 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 system, the quite explicit system. You spent a half a billion dollars training, right? To because okay. it's really expensive to do this well. That's a thing that really is living on a server farm, and everyone's plugging into it. That particular thing is giving you an envelope of plausibility whenever a proposed envelope of plausibility, something that sounds plausible, but you know um isn't plausible is the problem in reality until you verify because and you can't verify unless you enact into it right uh in reality so this is where well that's easy to solve just don't ever come to back to reality so if, kind of not i don't even know if this is easy let's just say in fact this probably isn't easy it probably has another scaling problem but let's say for for the sake of argument that it comes up with a confabulation something that'd be implausible in reality but we just build a big video game interface around that envelope and now you just live into that new envelope in this mind of this thing and you don't have to interact with real people anymore it'll just keep spinning up the interactions such that you feel as though you are and now you're just perfect and as long as you aren't enacting it in your body in reality you have something that kind of moves you around make sure you don't get sores and feeds you um then yeah you can kind of just plug people into this thing and um and then they would be they wouldn't even know they're in it likely um after a while especially if you can get the perception and all the other things worked out they wouldn't even know they're in it and um and they would just be feeling as though they're having an experience in reality um everything would seem plausible and add up and so um i don't know where i heard that one before but anyway i mean that's kind of what i'm saying is um like would be the the way to make these things 
not hurt because if, if people reground to reality, they're going to literally run into a wall. You told me <laughs> they're going to run into, there won't be a grocery store there. Now I'm hungry and I'm in a bad neighborhood. What, what happened? It's going to fail. Right. And that's why they wouldn't be, that's why they're having an adoption problem. Of course, is no one in reality wants to take advice from something that's not reliable or trustworthy, explainable or accountable. It's that they were in this mirage phase where everyone kind of adopted, but then they're like, ah, you know, before they understood. And now they're kind of like, well, I don't know. You know, everyone's very, you know, nicely cautious about this now. Um, but the way that, yeah, the way that you said that it could be not <clears throat> painful would be to not have it ground outside of its system. So create a, um, a generative system that you plug yourself into that your real world body is tended to such that you don't even feel the pain or discomfort that you would want to exit it. And yeah, so that's the, that's the plausible outcome. And then of course, then you would know it's, you would know it's, um, you wouldn't need to know it's tacit knowledge. You wouldn't have to ask it questions because you would be controlling its tacit knowledge. It would be controlling our tacit knowledge landscape. And so it intrinsically already know what's inside of our cognitive landscape because it put it there. So it would also just completely understand our inner world because it created our inner world sensorily. How do these considerations change if they change when we start looking at the possibility of building these things out of modified biological systems rather than out of material systems? Like if we're going to... Uh, mm, architect a different pathway through layered biology by taking right. fragmentary or retrained bits of life and starting to stack those into some kind of computational engine that starts to resemble agency how is that different i mean it seems to me that the the moral issue goes up significantly and the unpredictability goes up significantly because just like we don't know all the pieces that would need to go into an intelligence system. We also don't know what's still in there, even if we strip it down. Yeah, yeah, okay, so um, it's a bit of a tricky one. Um, okay, so you take any, we, we're, we're gonna just kind of talk about, yeah, we need to kind of go to a different place on the map here because so far we've been talking about systems that what they can do is generate language which tricks us into thinking things are plausible because as I kind of mentioned with the on the um, Emerge podcast, um, they're hijacking the fact that we have never encountered something like this. Our whole understanding of the way the world works is when something sounds this knowledgeable and says things with so much confidence, um, and from a first-person perspective, even you know, like a, like a person does, that is attached to social credibility. That's attached to a lived history. Like people that can sound like this, we trust. That doesn't sound like a language model we trust because they they don't get there accidentally. We had to put them there. We had to train them. They might they 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 become that articulate and knowledgeable. They participated in systems and weren't antisocial, so they must have networks. And they um and if they lied, they, their credibility would tank, and no one would be listening to them. And why are we, why are they even being presented to us as something worth paying attention to? All the hype, it must be credible, right? So we kind of we're kind of tricked right now um so that's the, so that's a whole bunch of what's happening right now is that how do you negotiate this this tricked thing we're, we're under and now we're and now we're kind of going to put that aside and we're going to say okay let's build another system out of living livingness that can do much more powerful cognitive tasks we haven't really laid that out but that's a 
that's what we're saying is um, the the impossibility of these systems doing what we do kind of implies that living systems do much more than they do. So, okay, we go to the living architecture that can do much more than these things do. Now what? Well, now we still have this problem of the language interface, you know? So um, we have pair, I mean, I just go nuts with this fantasy that my dogs can talk. Please, what are you experiencing? Use your words. Oh my God. I want, you know, I don't want, I don't want fur baby humans. I want dogs to be able to say, when I smell this, you have no idea. I'm seeing visions of past dog packs. And, you know, like I want them to use their words. I want to know, or octopi, or, you know, like all the life form whales, like, ah, talk to me, use your language. I want to know what you know. So, um, so, you know, that's, that's a, a thing like that we'd have to be able to do. And then what would we want to interface with? We'd want to be, we'd want to interface with their deep history and their place and their understanding and how they see. And all of that, I think, is what we'd be craving. So, so if we were to take like kind of a living system and say, we're going to use this for our um, AI, again, we're talking agentic use case. We're not talking about using them for other things. We're talking about using them in this agent mode. Um, I think that, you know, we'd be talking about the interesting agents would have be having experiences we would want to know about. So like, you know, if we could get mycelium in Iceland to uh, Greenland to talk to us, um, what stories would they tell us? I think that, you know, um, that, that kind of understanding of what the nature of those layers and interfaces in life could be, you know, would be much more compelling because that would, um, First, I think we're, we crave it naturally, and I think that's probably what we're missing to respect the other life forms we're sharing the planet with, to be able to understand their stories like that, uh, and the depth of their experience that we trivialize. So, um, yeah. So, I don't, so in terms of what just raw horsepower we could unlock with these things, right? Um, what what will we want them for? Um, I do think that it's not. So, for one thing, what do you really want? a cognitive agent to do. You want it to have a kind of insight process, which is the grounding um, of a model into reality and a correction, model correction, model correction, model correction. So, you know, we're always future thinking, all of us, and we want to do better future thinking. So we might want agents that can do better future thinking for on our behalf would be like, like, otherwise we're already living and doing, a, unless we're crazy, we're already doing a reasonable enough job considering reality real time. It's more of the future stuff. Um, so you'd say, okay, you know, um, like you would, you would want a, like a, some sort of agent to be able to, um, an interface to get an agent to be able to simulate things on your behalf, um, and do this future thinking in maybe a more powerful way and then be able to ground it in reality and, um, and then be able to communicate its output. And, um, and you'd want to do it in a way that's, um, humane and, and not hurtful. Um, well, it turns out we just, we love, we feel pleasure with the insight process. If it's something we care about, if you can motivate somebody to care, we naturally want to find envelopes of plausibility. Like what if it's like, um, you know, in training a mind to do thinking on our behalf. So I'm suggesting using a human mind. And what if that experience is similar to you know, the ways it's going to work will feel to you by analogy what it feels like to be at the top of a ski slope with skis on and the exhilaration of finding the envelope of plausibility to get down the hill but you're going to be doing it in future you know idea space or something like it could be this it could be a, a a very lovely voluntary experience that we um continually block because the 
you know, we don't have the interfaces for, for that. We, we don't have a, um, you know, up until now, like our whole use for other people is to consume what we produce, right. And to work on our behalf. So, so this would be a different use case for, for humans that we haven't really leveraged. Um, and so, yeah, so I think that the living system you're talking about a pile of cells, I don't know why it just wouldn't be a human that you, that can tell you that you aren't respecting my, <laughs> uh, pain body and agency and creativity and awe and insight and everything else. I'm not, I'm not feeling it. And now you have to work with that. So we, <laughs> we already have, uh, <laughs> biological substrate agents we call them people and we can just talk to them <laughs> we, can talk about them. we can ask them to run simulations in our mind on our behalf by asking them good inquiries um i heard a thing there that's uh an optimistic scenario right so we've got this problem of linguistically plausible pseudo agents degrading our information landscape but we're also affording ourselves the potential for an interspecies translation system that could come out of some of these tools and then that might lead to enhanced goodness because of enhanced general coordination capacity between species like systems that have increased ability to communicate with each other so yeah so um this is kind of my my most sci-fi hopeful vision of ai we're going back about maybe 15 10 15 years um so what do we do that's so powerful and this is what Stephen Wolfram will say and I think I mentioned this before we're reliable coarse grainers and I stand by that we're reliable coarse grainers so you know there everything's moving everything's transient everything's fluid in reality there's nothing here it's just emptiness on and on and on all those things are true and yet you know there's the materiality we experience materiality that's just a space-time constraint that we're very good at saying for all intents and purposes a rock stays a rock for my entire life and so i'm going to model that as sta a stationary thing that's like a coarse graining so that's saying like that i'm i'm going to reductively say that that that's a thing and i'm going to be right for all and for the scale all scales i care about so this kind of idea of like um like this is all physicists think about is like you write out an equation you say when you're in this context all these other terms go away effectively to zero and that is a rock newtonian dynamics is good enough now you're over here in fluid dynamics nope you got to switch to Navier stokes that doesn't that's not what the rules are that's not how the terms work and we're just kind of following the lead of our you know modeling what we already do naturally if our, our ability to course grain oh we can course grain a cloud or be a vortex so think it's a little tricky turbulence but we can kind of that's a thing or patterns waves like we find things right to course grain so in our ability to interface with other cognitive systems they also must be you know somehow reliably coarse graining to know we must grow in this direction because that's where you know the sun is or isn't or that's you know like i'm going to engulf this thing because i know it's an edible thing that has the inside of it is what i want so um other living things are reliably coarse graining for their length scale you can almost say like that's life has to be able to do that it has to be able to cognize its its surroundings so um so some it's possible you know so we go put up a little microphone and we hear you know i know something like or we put up a ultrasound we say blah, 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 or you know or watch it and you know so we're getting all these patterns and signals and then we'd say can we have computers help us course grain that or can we translate it into something that enables our course graining system so i think that's an interesting problem that maybe 
these maybe or maybe not these tools are good for. The, the problem with these tools um, is that if you look at what they are, they're kind of statistical interpolation. They're just interpolating data and then and um, and they're only one client. And so they don't work for a whole classes of course grading. So I think that um, they're they're probably not gonna. I, I don't know. I, I'm willing to be surprised, but I and I think a lot of people are willing to be surprised that they do better than you'd think. But that's that's the jury's out to me. Maybe not to other people that they'd be sufficient. You might, and that you that you'd even want it. We might be able to find it. You know, it might just be so. If you're aware of this, but like people that have different types of nerve damage, like they can't see. You could train someone to see through their tongue. You could just have a, like a, a little thing in their mouth or their back that imprints black and white, kind of like the light, the black and white pattern of their environment. And their nerves want to know, and they're going to figure out the correlation and they're going to tra help train themselves to interpret uh, a bunch of like uh, pokes on their, you know, palate or on their back as visual input and construe a landscape that way. So do we, you know, interface ourselves, our own nervous system with the patterns of the other thing at some level, like choose to do that where we still just use ourselves, but it's like an interface of wanting to use our own cognition. Kind of like when you're learning a foreign language, all of a sudden you're just like, I see it. This slime mold's telling me this. We're going to sound totally wacky, but, you know, um, it would be this kind of like, a, like, well, like we do with everything, we 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 really fundamentally all our tacit knowledge is wacky. You know, we just know things. Um, so it'd be like opening up the interface of that deeper knowingness. So it's almost be like um, technology for uh, shape shifting, shamanism, changing first person perspective kind of thing, and then listening, deeper listening technology for that. And I don't, I just don't, I don't know if we want the a, a layer of interpretation or if we just need a layer of translation. You know, of signal. Probably just the translation. I'd imagine is what we're going to want not the interpretation. So not the generation of like, here's what I think the pattern is like, we'll do that part. Uh, yeah, the interpretation seems dangerous in the sense that it's very easy to uh, input a distortion based on someone else's incentives. But it also mm -hmm. seems like a thing that will be very attractive to people is to outsource interpreting. Uh, you know, I'm I mean, we do with each other already. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think, well, I, I brought this up before. There was like a a, a little back and forth of a liminal web participant, I won't name names, um, who is kind of suggesting that they'd have something to offer climate scientists um, from a systems thinking perspective. And then I went to graduate school in climate science and um, got to do the real person to person hangout with climate scientists, in which I am just training to be one, but I'm with people that have been doing it every day of their lives for 20, 30, 40 years and getting to know their brains and and um i was saying you're going to meet like a real climate scientist and and you're going to try to talk to them and they're just going to go because uh, they are running these intense insane earth models in their head they're just taking tons and tons of data in a pre-verbal way and trying to see if any patterns emerge they could speak to and then they've got some publisher parish um pressure i suppose but in general what there's many of them are just i mean that's what you do you stare you've got this giant earth and very expensive um uh, very expensive to measure it and so you have a little cross-cut ship track here and a satellite signal there and on one day you're measuring a cloud over here and another day you're measuring cloud there and 50 years ago a ship track happened here and they're trying to combine all this non-mathematical but real data about our planet and all the mechanisms they know are going on 
to try to simulate something to inform their intuition to get to the next experiment to see if there's anything they can say kind of like this is a mechanism or a thing I can test. And so to me, like, like they're already, uh, uh, they're already, we are all, we are all already systems thinkers, but that we don't necessarily celebrate that part. Right now, we're in a culture that doesn't understand that tacit knowledge. There's no respect for climate scientists. I ask people, like in the climate debate, do you think they all sit around like a committee and and decide what they're going to think about the climate? And they're like, yeah, pretty much. They think it's like politics. People get together and they're like, I think this. Take a stand. It's like like lawyers. Like they think they they're you know instead of these kind of uh, monastics of earth visualization, you know, that are just deeply you know and sadly uh, very sad. It's a very sad brother you know uh monasticism because you you feel helpless right so they're deep seeing sad and it's also very hard to say anything and people don't listen until you say something so so i think that like if we were sane we would understand that about people and we would um appreciate and value and try to learn how to interface with even those people to have them you know so that they're have them be the you know understand all these interfaces even at that level that them to you know the the uh anchovies is somebody just studies and then there are people just study anchovies like the anchovies guy who thinks all about anchovies for 30 years you know and the sharks guy thinks all about sharks and then and then you bring them to the table and then you because because there's a context where that matters and then now you're they'll be the translation of what they know for those species or whatnot like that all could be happening if um, we were sane if we were sane i think that's what we'd be spending a lot of time wanting to do be lovely so let's assume we are at least imperfect in our sanity and <laughs> that we are going to uh a lot of people and a lot of incentives are going to move systems toward at the very least a large-scale short-term misuse of these tools what's your strategy for facing that uh, imminent reality on this planet so i i think it's um uh well I, I i'm not sure my i'm not sure my overall strategy but i'll give you an analogy that i came up with the other day i think is kind of helpful um just imagine you're kind of like living in troll land and like the women have beards and stuff but like you get stuff done and like you know and um and you just you raise your kids and you go into the mines and stuff kind of works and you're just this troll to troll people and then here comes like the six foot two elf like runway model you know and she, she walks into the room and she can date all of the trolls, you know, like, and he, there's a he version, of course, you know, and there's a everything in between version, the whatever version you want, Eric walks in the room. And, and it really is like the beautiful person in the room that everyone wants, uh, who's going to say no. Um, and then, you, and so it's a little bit like a, you know, and then you'd say like, well, I feel like the deal people are making right now without realizing is like, you can have her, him, that, but you're gonna have to give up like a, you know so it's like you can have this this um this generative ai tech but you're gonna give up maybe like spreadsheets email and calendars would you do it and the first blush you'd be like you know yeah and then like you know wait a few weeks or months you know and and then you go like try to like you'll you're, you're on a date with this thing or whatever and it's just like you know and be like well explain yourself like what do you do I'm like oh i can't i just say whatever you want to hear you know and like well i need to do this thing oh i can't reliably do anything and you know and uh, and 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 pretty soon i think there's just kind of this idea of like you're super high maintenance i don't care what you look like you know the real cost is i just want to go back to my troll wife husband whatever um to uh 
live because like I need my calendars and my and my <laughs> spreadsheets and my I need my boring tech to get stuff done to coordinate with other people in reality. So so I think that's definitely like, you know, an arc that people will adopt much faster and then they'll abandon there's going to be adopt abandon going on and then there's going to be the degeneration. Maybe it's something everybody needs to just learn by having these experiences and yeah, I mean it's um so I think my my strategy so far has been to just try to warn people of like like I don't want to engage these systems. I may sound like a puritan here, but like for the same reasons I didn't want to do heroin. Um I'm a redhead and I respond exceptionally well to opiates. That's known by my genetics. Um I don't know what my responsibility to heroin and and I know that like um you know from you know the the, the uh, DMT people talking about their recent DMT experiences you know, it's hard not to, um, when you have a real experience, that's a real experience. And it's hard for them not to keep using that language. Like there is another realm with real entities, like those things are real. You almost, you can't out-rationalize it. It's like, you can rationally know whatever you know, but it becomes so real, you have to almost take it as plausible. This is almost like the mystical experience as well. It's like you can't talk somebody out of their mystical experience their connection with um, feeling as though they have a relationship to a, a god or a higher power, whatever form that takes. Like you can't talk someone out of that experience. Like, so I don't want to have an experience of this thing that I don't know how to talk myself out of. And so what, and that's the only value it could add to me because it doesn't give you reliable information. So the only thing I could possibly be getting out of it is an experience that I can't kind of rationally talk myself out of. So that's kind of my warning. Like I, you know, is like to be careful that you might have they're going to keep tuning these experiences. We already saw that with the fellow who rationally Google said these things can't be conscious, but thought they were. <laughs> um, so I don't, I don't know because I won't have that experience myself how dangerous they are. So I'm hoping people get in, get out. They tried heroin and they got out. But the perfect business model is they can't get out. So all I can do is kind of warn. <clears throat> but I don't think there's any, there will be no stopping them. Like, no, there won't be, there, there won't be, I think, you know, people people want to have these experiences. I'm sure they can, you know, if you listen to um, George Hott saying that, you know, plenty of people think you could get something to give you these experiences out of your garage and be untraceable and train your own models and plug yourself in. And, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't so I think it's just my strategy is um, to kind of try to warn people and hope for the best. Seems to me that, um, uh there's a kind of a window like um, before they are too omni pervasive, this is the time to be able to get in and get out because each iteration might solve one of the problems, which is a reason that people are getting out. If a lot of people are getting out for this reason, six months later, there's a new one. It corrects for that reason. Then it takes longer to get out, longer to get out. So right well, now, it's still has to feed off to us. build up some inoculation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, so that's the two tier. Warn against participation. But the big thing is it's feeding off of us. It's feeding off humanity. <laughs> it's taking our life force, our energy, our energy grid, our extremely precious natural resources that we should have for living systems. It's sucking all that away from us. It's, uh, you know, and also the money and the investment, right? Like, it's like, here we are, another investment boom. <laughs> all that investment money could have gone towards all this other tech we've been talking about and it's not so that's all dollars being burned and servers and engineers and brains and life and our life force is going to these things so that's the other kind of beyond a warning is like even if you're going to experiment with them 
don't give them your life force. Like, why would you do that without thinking it through? Don't give them your, don't give them your hard-earned money and your hard-earned, you know, potential, your potential energy that you could be giving to other things in the world um, that could be addressing the real issue here, which is how do we stop blocking our own um, ability to interface and coordinate and feel and sense into the planet we're participating in. Like, you know, invest in reality tech, you know, not artificial uh, reality tech. And and nobody really even hears those kind of proposals right now, right? I mean, it's just agreed. I think also just understanding, like, you know, we aren't calling out greed enough in the in both the people participating in all these techs and the investors. I just feel like people want the money so bad they don't really want to take a stand that way. Maybe you know, if like I won't. Um, I don't know, like that. Uh, we shouldn't be so. You know, I mean, I think if we're looking back on this time we might have the same problem that they had in Nuremberg trials. How could you not call your friends out for just being motivated by greed? How, did, how could you just stand by as everybody in your social networks were motivated by greed? And 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 especially impact in any investor you talk to <clears throat> says they want to make a world better place, better place. And when they have that quiet moment where they say, you know, well, I need to make money off of this. It'd be like, me meaning you just have to like steal natural resources from everybody. Like that's what you have to do. Why? Why do you need that? Why is why does that have to be the model of your investment, whatever that means? Um, why can't we have a different discussion? Um, and I know it's an imperfect analogy and maybe inappropriate to say Nuremberg trials, but it, it, that's much more extreme. But I think that we'll just see a similar. There's a new class. I mean that as like a stand-in for a class that we can relate to. Of like I was obviously wrong. This might be the obviously wrong moment of investment. Right where it becomes obviously wrong. Who are you saying this? Why are you building this? Why are you if if ten percent, whatever percent you want, are saying this kill us all? Now people are really saying, why is anyone investing in this? Because greed. 